Good morning. Welcome to our first service of 2016. I'm going to invite you to gently close your eyes as we move into our song and prayer and we continue to build the vibration of the Most High as we come together today. I invite you to think of a happy time in your life. Allow that to fill your awareness, guide your way of being, a celebration, something that delights you, thrills you, something that actually turns the corners of your mouth upward. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very And so I invite you to know with me in this moment, allowing my words to be your words. If something is expressed in this moment that does not resonate with you, let it wash over you. Stand in your own divinity and your own authority in what you entertain, what you allow to become part of your knowing. But I affirm and know in this moment and recognize the one life, the power for good, the, this supreme God, my spiritual teacher, all spiritual teachers, all the saints and avatars, the angels of of, of light and goodness and the light workers. We celebrate all of them. I know that this room is filled with the smoke of their presence, of their consciousness. And that we are part of that. They are not separate from us. We are one with that as well. Oneness is not just being one with humanity, but all of life. And so the seen and the unseen, to stand in the faith together, to know that this day is a powerful day of transformation. This day is a day of awakening, of accepting new and wonderful responsibility for who we are what the possibilities are for our lives. That our gifts and talents will be expressed or they will not be expressed. No one can do it for us, for you or I. It is our opportunity. And so I give thanks this day knowing that we relax in the joy and the simplicity and the celebration and the eager expectancy of a bountiful and beautiful 2016. And so I release these words in gratitude and appreciation for all of the gifts that allow us to be together in this beautiful environment today in giving birth to consciousness, in giving birth to the greater yet to be, to be in a place where the infinite can find its way to us with a, a greater expression and celebration and creativity of love, joy, compassion, all of the qualities of the infinite at the highest level possible. For this I give thanks. 
and invite you to say with me, knowing it is already done in the mind of the one for each and every one of us. And this word, as we share this word, as I speak this word, we impress this infinite divine intelligence to respond accordingly. So thank you for all the blessings this day. Thank you for that which unfolds in my life. And thank you knowing at the, in the level of spirit, at the level of mind, that that which I stretch myself into, my ideals and my dreams already exist in the level of thought. The prototype is already established. And it is my opportunity and your opportunity to be available to that. For this I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Here we are, first Sunday, 2016. Yeah, it's nice to have a rite of passage, isn't it? It's nice to have a beginning and a, you know, and I think this period, I wrote about it in my newsletter article this, this um, month, this, you know, this time of year gives us an opportunity to really slow down. And I think when we slow down, we get a chance, a little bit better chance to kind of assess where we are, even if it's for a couple days, what's working, what's not working. That's why so many people make uh, New Year's uh, resolutions. You know how many people are successful with their New Year's resolutions? They know, they measure everything. Do I hear any guesses? All right, we got some optimists with us today. I'm hearing a lot of zeros up here. Uh, approximately 8%. 8%. And so I, I, I want to speak a little bit about that today, but it is fascinating because I think it's really about the preparation. It's about, the, it's about preparing ourselves for the newness. It's not random. It's not, see, it's not magical thinking. You know, as kids, we, we get these ideas in our heads and we think just because we think it, it's going to happen. And I think as kids, we can be very immature in our own spirituality because we teach affirmative prayer. I set an intention. But the other part of it is we've got to carry forward what's mine to do. You know, oh, I'm the, I want to be a great piano player this year. I want to learn the piano. Well, if you don't take a piano lesson, I don't care how much you think it, you're probably not going to be a great piano player, right? Everything has its, there's spiritual coin in everything. And so this isn't magical thinking. This isn't fairy dust. This is when we go to John of God with people, I tell people, you know, you're going to be asked to do things. You're going to have to change the way you do things, the way you think, the way you behave, the way you take care of yourself. That's yours to do. And they're going to work the other end of this at the energetics of it. It's all a, a, an energetic experience. And I mean, all the great teachers, you know, you read the autobiography of the yogi. Great story. But he stood, he stood in his knowingness. I mean, he, was just, he just came tripwired for his experience. But, but, you know, he did his work. He studied. He meditated. He prayed. Did all the things that allowed him to continue to, to deepen. So it's a beautiful thing. But our part, what's my part to do? So it's not, it's not magical thinking that gets us there but it can be the art of possibility we're going to talk about today. So I want to share with you a video, a short video. It's about three minutes with a bishop. He's an Episcopal bishop, John Shelby Spung, S-P-O-N-G. And a number of people asked me who he was because I didn't set it up well at the first service. I was just so excited about the new year, you know. Got ahead of myself. But John Shelby Spung, you can go on YouTube. He's being interviewed by Keith Morrison in this. It's a three-minute segment. And he's talking about religion. He's talking about, I think, the things that we stand for as a spiritual community. I don't think hell exists. I happen to believe in life after death, but I don't think it's got a thing to do with reward and punishment. Religion is always in the control business. Uh, and that's something people don't really understand. It's, it's in the guilt-producing control business. And if you have heaven as a place where you're rewarded for your goodness and hell as a place where you're punished for your evil, then you sort of have control of the population. 
And so they create this fiery place, which has quite literally scared the hell out of a lot of people throughout Christian history. Mm -hmm. And it's part of a control tactic. But wait a minute, you're saying that hell, the idea of a place under the earth or somewhere where you're tormented for an eternity, is actually an invention oh, of yes. the church. I think the church fired its furnaces hotter than anybody else. <clears throat> but I think there's a sense in most religious life of, of reward and punishment in some form. The church doesn't like for people to grow up because you can't control grown-ups. That's why we talk about being born again. When you're born again, you're still a child. The people don't need to be born again. They need to grow up. They need to accept their responsibility for themselves and the world. What do you make of the theology, which uh, is pretty quite prominent these days in America, which is that there is one guaranteed way not to go to hell, and that is to accept Jesus as your personal Savior? Yeah, I grew up in that tradition. Uh, every church I know claims that we are the true church and they have some ultimate authority we have the infallible Pope we have the inerrant Bible the idea that the truth of God can be bound in any human system by any human creed by any human book is almost beyond imagination for me I mean God is not a Christian God is not a Jew or a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist all of those are human systems which human beings have created to try to help us walk into the mystery of God. I honor my tradition. I walk through my tradition. But I don't believe my tradition defines God. I think it only points me to God. You and I are emerging people, not fallen people. Our problem is not that we are born in sin. Our problem is we do not yet know how to achieve being fully human. The function of the Christ is not to rescue the sinners, but to empower you and to call you to be more deeply and fully human than you've ever realized there was the potential within you to be. Maybe salvation needs to be conveyed in terms of enhancing your humanity rather than rescuing you from it. Life is a startling and wondrous experience. And eventually, I think we're going to discover that God is unfolding through the life of our consciousness and our self-consciousness and is not a parent figure up in the sky. But I believe because I'm related to something that is not bound by time and space that I will share in whatever God's eternity is. So great stuff, I think, of talking about this idea of reward and punishment, heaven and hell that so many people participate in, and that, that my way, our tradition is the only way, which is, you know, we look at the chaos that that creates, and, and, and that it's not, our, it's not about being born again. So many people talk about being born again and having this spiritual awakening as to grow up and, and be adults, be spiritually mature in our own capacity to move on this planet so that what happens is where God gets expressed, Dr. Ernest Holmes said this in the Science of Mind textbook, God can only do for us what God does through us. And, and the, so it's the, the integration of more and more of this, the spiritual nature into our humanity is where God shows up. That's this realm. And it's so easy, you know, we, Laura and I have been immersed in the uh, Paramahansa Yogananda's work uh, over the last year and continue to read it over and over again. It's so rich and deep. But he talks about it that this journey is one of, of the, the, the contrast that we fall asleep in the, the world of effect. 
And so how can we be in the world of effect? Because the world of effect is a great place to be. It's fun to go, on a, uh, you know, to go on a beach and rub your toes into the sand, especially when you live in Edmonton, you know? <laughs> you know, there's wonderful things about the, this form that are just so rich and wonderful, but when we fall asleep in it completely, as if life, that we, we actually believe we can die. And we're not the body. We're not the, the emotions. We're not the, the mind. We're this deep abiding light of awareness and consciousness that has a continuum. And, but it's so, hard to, it's so hard to live from that all the time. But what I love about what we offer here, what I cherish about what we offer here is it's not about we don't teach hell because most people out in the world are living in hell to begin with. You know, as he said, the church has fired their furnaces far more wor- uh, intensely than, than, than the devil could ever do. But life is a continuum, and, 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 that, and it's this upward journey, and there's a tendency for our, the quality of our, our beingness to continue to be enhanced as we spiral outward and upward, as Dr. Holmes talked about. Dr. Holmes said this from Living the Science of Mind. I wanted to share with you a couple of short paragraphs today, and then we'll get into our, our PowerPoint He said, others may show us how they did this. He's talking about the the, the spiritual experience. Others may show it. I mean, Yogananda, his his work is all about that. He writes from that experience. And it's beautiful, and there's part of me that's envious of that. It's like, oh, I want that too. And yet, I know my journey is unique and beautiful, and my learning is different than anybody else's. This is yours. But see, I'm engaged in it. One of the big things is most people don't engage. As he said, wake up and take responsibility. Be an adult. Most people don't want to do that. They want to scapegoat. Oh, look at the, the economy sucks right now, so I can't do whatever. The economy is always going to have its cycles. You know, there are people that are prospering right now that have not been affected, but that don't spin in this thing. There's, there's also opportunity. I had a buddy, I, I've, I know a multimillionaire that visits us once in a while, and he says whenever the economy spins out, there's opportunity because a lot of stuff goes on sale. But most of the thing, what can I sell now to survive? So Holmes says, others may show us how they did this, may even suggest how we can proceed, but there's a path that every person must walk alone. Yet not alone, because forevermore there's a spirit that beckons, a presence that feels out towards us as we feel towards it. See, it requires our participation. Court the presence is what Holmes used to say. Isn't that lovely? To court the presence. You know, not demand the presence, but we're lovers. Lovers coming together. Anybody here ever courted anybody besides me? You know, you see her in the hallway there. I went to a Catholic high school and all the girls wore the same blue plaid skirt with the blazer and the white shirt. And it was hard to identify and differentiate at times if the light wasn't good. But, but the point being is, you know, we all start somewhere. Every time I see that blue plaid, I'm like, I'm like right back in the throes of, wow, I remember that. What's wrong with you? That's blue plaid. Yeah, I know, but you don't know what blue plaid means. <laughs> Yet the discovery of the self to the self and by the self. There's no delaying, no use waiting for something to come along or someone who can do this for us, for no such person exists. And no one can do it for us. That's the good news. It's also the frustrating news. And if we're not willing to engage in the process, then we, we scapegoat and we blame and we, and we use our, 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 our history to, to, to deflect when in fact, you know, Carl Jung said, I wrote this down today because I liked it so much. He said that he ascribed evil to the failure to meet the shadow. 
then we're not, when we're not willing to, to meet our own darkness and to bring it into light, he called it evil because we push it down, we avoid it, and yet our, our opportunity is to embrace it and to look at it and not to live from it but to acknowledge it because once we acknowledge it, it deflates it. Oh, yeah, that's me. I can be that, but I don't do that. That's part of the journey. If it was so lovely here, Yogananda says, if it was, this experience were so lovely all the time, none of us would want to die. But most people are like, man, oh man, I, I just can't wait till this is over and I'll be at peace. Well, maybe not, you know, because we take our consciousness with us. And if we, when we bring a, a, a subjective a knowingness of struggle and, and, uh, and pain and suffering, what, what do we think we're setting the, the foundation for, for, our, for the next part of our journey? We can only be what we are, but we have to do the work ourselves. This is why Jesus told his followers that it, is a, it was expedient that he go away in order that the spirit of truth might reveal to them the meaning of everything that he had taught. So he gave him everything he had, and he said, okay, guys, I'm going to be taken off, and it's up to you, but you've got everything you need. And I, and I think this is what we talk about in our teaching is, is that, you know what, we've got everything we need. So we don't, it's not about protecting our particular movement. Because every movement has taken this idea of God, this construct, as, as Bishop Spung said, it's, God's not a Christian, he's not a Jew, he's not a Muslim. But this, these are the paths and traditions that hopefully can move us forward into the mystery of life, and so more and more that can be expressed in our humanity. I mean, that's lovely. It's exactly, I, I believe it, it nails the, it hits the nail on the head when he talks about that. So in this beautiful book called The Art of Possibility by, by Rosamund Zander and Benjamin Zander, they're a married couple. He is a symphony orchestra uh, conductor and he's also a musical um, um, teacher. He teaches students and she's an educator as well. And so they wrote this beautiful book called The Art of Possibility. I've had this on my bookshelf for years and finally it came across, we're following the CSL um, path this year of, of themes and monthly themes and this month's theme the overall theme is a world that works for everyone and the idea being is that and so underneath that so that's the vision and the mission the mission always helps you achieve the vision the mission is to awaken humanity to its spiritual magnificence if we get that man everything shifts and changes that's the game changer because then we're not living in survival mode, as the book talks about. We are living in the, in the art of possibility. The art of possibility. So this week, I, or this month, uh, yeah, this week I, I wanted to give you some of the sub-themes that we're going to work with in this book. Today is the invitation to possibility. Next week we'll be lighting a spark, enrollment, leading from any chair, the way things are, and the framework of possibility. Now, I don't have hell to send to you to. In the tradition I grew up in, if you didn't come to church, you, you immediately it was a mortal sin and you better get to confession before you die or you're going to end up burning forever, which is really comforting for a four or five-year-old kid. But I would say you don't want to miss any of this month. And also the thing is that, that the talks are on our podcast. If you push podcast on your phone and you go to Spiritual Living, ours is number one. Right in front of Michael Beckwith's agape, ours is number one. And if you know what agape was, for us to be in front of Michael, I don't know what Darren and Teresa did on that podcast thing, but that's pretty cool. Yeah. So anyway, those are our, our ideas. So the, the first idea in the book that I want to share with you that I think is so true is it's all invented. All of it is invented. You and I are making stuff up all the time. Now, we make stuff up based on our experiences, and that makes sense. 
you know, but it's all, it's all invented. He uses in the book the illustration of the, um, the Mian people, and they are an indigenous tribe. And he talks about how people went there and showed them pictures, you know, eight by ten pictures of animals and, and people. And they did not have the capacity to see the pictures. They didn't even know what these sheets of paper were. They would crumple them, they would tear a piece off, they would taste it. They'd listen to the noise, but they had no way of looking at that image because it was, because it was flat. It wasn't, you know, to look at one another in 3D, you know, we have the full, the full spectrum of all of our, our senses involved. But when we're looking at a picture and never seen one before, they were just not able to comprehend. They didn't have that capacity developed yet. He tells another story about a man on a, on a public transportation and Pablo Picasso is sitting there. And so he goes over to, and Picasso is pretty well known, and he walks over and he says, sir, you are Pablo Picasso? He said, I am. He said, why don't you draw a picture of people the way they are, the way they look? And, and Picasso said, well, you know, what do you mean by that? And he pulled out his, envelope, his uh, wallet and he showed Picasso a picture of his wife, a little wallet-sized picture of his wife. And he says, well, look, like, here's my wife. And he said, well, she looks awful small and awful flat to me. So in other words, Picasso interpreted and created the way he saw things, that his perception was lined up with that. And we've all seen, I think we've all seen Picasso pictures, but it was truly his genius and his perception to be able to put together these ideas that are so captivating. You know, great art, you, can, you can't look at it long enough. It's like, oh, look at that. So this idea that we're, we're always inventing. And so the question that comes up for us right now, or for me, that's alive, that I think, because I think as, as, bishop, as we grow into our humanity, we've all got error beliefs, or we've got, all got restrictions about what's possible. And so the first question in this all invented is, what assumptions, what assumptions am I making about life? What assumptions? And I look at the things, that, that limitations, that you know, if something great's gonna happen, I gotta do it. Well, maybe not. Maybe just to know what my part is. See, for me, part of the spiritual discernment, big learning for me, is discerning the difference between a problem and a situation. And what I've, what I've done my whole life, because I care so deeply and I was over-domesticated by my beautiful mother, to, to, to always give, to always make sure everybody else was okay and, you know, like, fix everybody. And uh, the book we used last month, we talked about that. I went, that's desperately, oh, it was Anne Lamont, the story of Anne Lamont, how she desperately wanted to save everyone. But what I realize, I've spent a lifetime taking on situations that I've created as problems for me. That, that I think there's things that I need to solve for people that are not, none of my business. That, you know, I'm in charge of, I'm master of time, space, and dimension. And so then I take on problems which aren't mine. And so to understand sometimes, so someone will come to me, I'll share something on a Sunday, for example. See, one of the great uh, uh, public speak, speaker coaches of all time said, you are, you are responsible to your audience, but not for your audience. I can share with you the best of what I got, which is always my, 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 one of my devotions each week. But what you do with it is none of my business. I, don't, I can't follow you home with a checklist and make sure you're applying everything I talked about. That's That's, that's insane. So you're responsible to your audience, but not for what they do with it. And I think this is so true of life. And to live in that wisdom, because what happens when we understand what our, what our, if I got a problem, it'll become obvious to me, there's something else, there's something different I can do. 
there's something that I can shift and change to help address that problem. But people have their own experiences many times. I don't know what's going on in their heads. It's not my job to fix it. It's not my job. It's not your job or my job to make anybody happy. I posted a thing on Facebook. You know, people, people see who we are, but they don't know what we've gone through to get where we are. And so then people will come in, and, and so there's scapegoating, and there's finger pointing. And it's, you know, when you're in a position of, of, of leadership, that's part of it. But you see people lash out and say things and act in certain ways, or the other, or the other end of it, that, that either way, whether it's love or fear, it has nothing to do with me. And I understand that. It's not that I don't care. I care deeply. I think everyone should be happy and joyful. But I can't provide that for them. And, and you can't either. But we take that on thinking that's our problem. And that's the discernment. I wish, you know, there were a formula. I wish it were a straight line, but it isn't. So we've got problems in our lives, and those are the things that we're called to address. And there's situations. You know, I had an experience with my daughter, and she gave birth to a little boy this last April. And she decided not to keep that little boy. And for me, for Laura and I, for a while, we made that our problem. It was heartbreaking. We would go home and cry. And it was so sorrowful that my daughter was not in a better position in, in, in all areas of her life to be able to, to raise that little boy. And then I realized, you know, this is her journey. I did not withhold love for that little boy or for my daughter because those are the things, but that became my situation, not my problem. But for a while, Laura and I talked about, you know, let's, can we raise this baby? Can we take this on? You know, is this, is this appropriate? And many grandparents do that. But we knew in our heart of hearts this was not our, this, this was not our, we were not called to step in in that capacity. So I, we had to shift it from our problem to our situation. And many times a situation you just live through. You know, well, I watch people here that are having physical challenges. And, and so we don't support them in terms of taking on the problem. As a practitioner, I can help us, I can, I can ground us in the knowingness of our being and, know that, and call forth all these unseen resources to support and nurture the highest outcome possible. So then I'm in the situation, but I'm not in the problem. But I think that that's part of the spiritual discernment we learn as we grow. Because you never want to stop loving people. But many times people, people have expectations of us. We can't fulfill them. That's not my problem. And what's ever alive, what's triggered in them, that's their opportunity to look at that. And not out of a sense of, I don't care, but that's the healthy thing to do, to stand together in health. Say, well, you know, I know you're going to figure this out. So it's, it's really important. So what assumptions am I making? Am I living more in problems that are not my problems? Because life's full of situations. I don't like it that there, there are people on the planet that want to just, it seems like they just want to kill everyone around them. That's evil. That is evil. No way to, that is evil. And the only way many times people in that mindset respond is through being told by an authority, stop it. That's the only way they respond because there's a, there's a, there's a psychosis going on there. It's a collective. But, but how do we say stop it without becoming them and becoming punitive? That's, that's the challenge. What's help? All these things, there's so many layers to it. So, but we, we all invent it. What assumptions am I making that I'm not aware I'm making? So some of these things we don't even know we're doing. And what gives me what I see? It gives me the, how I see the world. The world's, I'm, I should be in survival all the time? Do I want to live in survival all the time? Because a lot of people do. Or do I want to live in, the, in possibility? 
And what are those things holding me back? So we have this bowl here. We're going to do our burning bowl ceremony today. The next slide, I think, is the waterfall. There it is. There's your waterfall. When we go to Abhijanya with John of God, one of the days we'll go down to this sacred waterfall. No pictures are allowed. That's not the waterfall in Abhijanya. It's much smaller. That's too big. But what we do is we climb in there. The men go alone and the women come down, or the women go first, the men, whatever. Uh, they decide. But we go down this little path. It's beautiful. It's lush. There are these beautiful, big, blue and black butterflies. Every time I've gone down there, I've seen them. It's just magical. And you can't take any pictures. And everybody goes in silence. And what they invite you to do is to, to go into the waterfall. There's a, and there's a four by four underneath the waterfall that you can grab onto. And when you go into the waterfall, you dunk yourself in. And the first dunk is to wash away anything that is no longer serving you. To be cleansed. Purification. So the first dunk is a willingness to be cleansed and the water's infused by the entities. So now we get into that avatar discussion, you know, that woo-woo stuff. But the idea, the metaphor of walking in and being cleansed. And then you bring yourself back out and the next dunk is to take on this beautiful energy of light. And so what we're going to do today in celebration of that, we'll bring back, but I wanted to share an image of the waterfall with you. What we're going to do right now, I'm going to invite you to activate within you the knowingness and the awareness. Perhaps you're ready and you know what you want to uh, release. We're going to do the burning bowl ceremony, and I have a few of them with me because I have a lot of stuff to release. But actually, I just want want us to have a nice big dramatic flame today. So we're going to, in the past what we've done is we've invited people to come up and light theirs, and then people throw it into their hair, and they throw it on one another. So what we're going to do is we're going to do this collectively. We're going to think about something that you're willing to release, someone that you're going to forgive, perhaps it's yourself. Think about some opportunity for cleansing. Fire is purification. It's also out of the ashes rises the phoenix, the newness, the new birth, the phoenix rising. So I'm going to invite you in this moment, we're going to put up a little Carl Anthony uh, music to play. Uh, and, and, and insert in this bowl a willingness, maybe you don't know what it is, but you can surrender this to spirit. Welcome spirit into your life and know that you're ready for a cleansing, for an opening, for a revealing, whatever it may be. So the spiritual practice is always one of subtraction, to put down the things that get in our way, the assumptions that we carry that limit our experience of life, as Bishop Bungs said, so that we may bring more of the divinity, more of the grace and beauty and the qualities of the infant into into the world and into our lives, The, the grace, the awe, the wholeness, the passion, the compassion. So the universe of possibilities, and the universe of possibilities That energetic is generative. It's creative. We see a little baby and we decide that that baby is joy for us and the baby becomes joy. I have a new baby, a a new uh, granddaughter as well and she's here in Edmonton and her mother always says to me and I always walk in and say, hey, beautiful. And her mother always says to me, and smart. So now, (laughs) now I walk in and say, "That that is the smartest baby I've ever seen in my life. And she's beautiful as well. Why not? Why not? Why not celebrate all of it? 
And, you know, to fall into that trap of because she's a little girl, she should just be pretty or beautiful. And it's like, hey, you're right. Look how smart she is. And she flashes those beautiful eyelashes at me. And coo, she's clucking now. She does. It's a great party trick, as her mom says. So. But it's generative. There's a creativity about it. That's part of the possibility. It's giving. There's a generosity. But see, the infinite is generous. One of the things spiritually that, that, that I, I am so convinced of in my own life is until we confront our fears about not enough money, we can't make any progress spiritually. Because there's not enough, not enough, not enough. And until we can relax, it's not being, it's not being attentive. It's not being good stewards. I mean, being a good, managing finances is an important practice. But it's just simply making, see, many, most people make money their God. If you look downtown Edmonton, the architecture, Joseph Campbell said, the architecture informs people, it informs us what's alive in the community. Well, what we love the most, if you go downtown right now, is hockey. Because the architecture, this beautiful building, and I'm, hey, I'm excited about it. I think it's great every time. I go, Look at that thing. Lovely, it's downtown. I mean, I'm celebrating the beauty of it. I'm not complaining. But that's what's precious to people. I mean, I, you guys are in a lot better mood today because the Oilers actually won yesterday. You know, I check it. Because, it, it, you know, I, I just know energetically what it's going to be like if they don't. You know? But that becomes, that's, what, that's our religion. People don't believe in God. They're atheists. They believe in something. And most people believe in money. And most people think the more you have, the more you have. And it went, how much is enough? And if we, if we can't celebrate what we have today, there'll never be enough. So it's not about not, not inviting it and welcoming it and being uh, compensated in a wonderful way. But when we make it our God, we miss. We make it the end in itself. It's, it's one of the important pieces, but it's not the piece. Everybody has a God. Everybody has a religion. Some just don't believe in God. They believe in the state. They believe in the government. They believe in the, the banking system. Producing new life, universe of possibilities, producing new life. What new life can you give birth to this year? Creating new ideas. What's possible that we haven't thought of? How can we do this better? You know, we touch lives all over the, the world with the, our podcasts, and I know we do because I get messages all the time. I think what we do is extraordinary. We are, you know, that, those announcements are long today. Carolyn did a beautiful job. We have so many classes. We are not, we are not a big community. We're not a, we don't have a staff of 26. Mile High Church has a 26 full-time staff people to pull off what they do. And it's a beautiful environment, and I love it, and I don't need to be them. But for the amount of people we have working here, there's an incredible amount of production that goes on. You know, we got through Christmas and New Year's, and it's amazing. You know, at Christmas, all your friends and family come, people we don't know that we don't see all year long. Because all you guys go travel somewhere for the most part, and it's great. So Lori and I are talking about this, and she says, why do we put all this energy into Christmas Eve with people we don't know? And, and, and we're measuring, and at that level in our awareness, it's like, well, so-and-so's not here, and so-and-so's not here, and these people come in. And, and I said, you know, sweetheart, what's bubbling up for me is, as I'm processing this is, this isn't about being of service there, it's about being a service of God. And to create a beautiful environment when people, you know, people come up to me and say, you know, this is something I, I, I never miss. I come back to Edmonton, I live in somewhere else, and I always come here for Christmas Eve. It gives me the God bumps when I hear that. I'm like, oh my gosh. This. And it was phenomenal. I mean, Teresa put our program together this year. It was phenomenal. It was great. It was wonderful. I went home and I said, best one ever. And, and it was just so rich and wonderful and planned and uh, and. And, and collaborated on. It was beautiful. But it's about being of service. 
Today is not an inconvenience. This is a way of being of service to God and paying attention and, and, and being an outlet for that. So it's generative. It's creating new ideas. It's contributing. And it involves joy, grace, awe, wholeness, passion, and compassion. So one of the things that, that she did in this chapter that, that it, both she and he, uh, the Zanders did, Benjamin and uh, Roseman, they teach a group of our, they teach musicians. And, they, and, and so they were in an ac- academic environment where they had to give a grade out at the end of this. And she watched all these world-class musicians come in and stress and stress and stress. And the stress, because they were worried about grades and performance, was stressing them out so much they weren't able to perform well. So they finally, after much deliberation and contemplation, decided, you know what, at the beginning of this semester, you all get an A. Everybody gets an A. So today, everybody gets an A here. You're sitting here today listening, you're within earshot of, you get an A. But here's the deal. There's a, there's a piece of this you have to do. So what they did is each student in this class will get an A for the course. And she said, however, there's only one requirement that you must follow to earn the grade. Sometime during the next two weeks, you must write a letter and date it, and I would say next January. I'm inviting you to do this. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to be working on it. So over the next month, we get to write our letters. And what it is going to say is, this is why I got my A this year. This is why this was the most spectacular. And what happened for me this year is this and this and this and this. Economically, financially, this is what happened in my life right here, right now. Health-wise, you had health challenges? Health-wise, this was the most amazing thing happened. I had a miracle. See, miracles are just that level of spirit that we don't quite understand. We don't understand the science behind it, but it's available. Making yourself available to a miracle. Having the right and perfect doctors and health care and the right modalities and affirming and knowing that this infinite divine presence and its infinite wisdom is guiding me in every good way for the highest and best outcome for myself and all those around me so that I'm a clean, hollow vessel of divine expression, whatever it may be. But you put that in your letter. Oh my God, in, in as much detail as possible, this is what happened for me. It was incredible. These opportunities, the doors opened, the floodgates opened. A beacon of, of uh, a tower of light and a, be- a beacon of light and a tower of strength is what our charter says. So this is the, the, the language of possibility. So we write our letters. And in this letter, to, you are to tell in as much detail as you can the story of what will have happened to you by next January. That is in line with this extraordinary grade. You got an A because these things happened. You had an extraordinary year. Why not give spirit? Gene Houston always says, give God something juicy to work with. In writing this letter, I say to them, they are, no, they are to place themselves in the future looking back and to report on all the insights they acquired and the milestones they attained during the years if they accomplished. Those accomplishments were already in the past. Everything must be written in the past tense. Phrases like, I hope, I intend, or I will, must not appear. Can't do those. The student may, if they wish, mention specific goals reached or competitions won. But I tell them, I'm especially interested in the person you will have become by next January. As Bishop Spung said, that the, so we, we bring it to our humanity. You know, I think about it, you know, I, I bought a lottery ticket the other day. And I thought about all the fun things I could do with that in service. Where could I give that? Where could, it, where could we make a difference? We just saw the movie, uh, The Big Short. It's an incredibly good movie. It's all about the housing crash in 2008 and people that actually anticipated it and as a result prospered by it. And the sad part is that, that no mention in, the, in it did, did any of those people that and people made 
hundreds of millions of dollars because they, they, they anticipated the crash. But at no time did anyone say, and then they took this 300, 400 million dollars and, and put it into contribution and service to humanity. I mean, you can keep a few million for yourself, probably get you by, but there wasn't one in the end of that. It was, it was greed on both ends. And it, and it beautifully articulates in a very simple way how it happened. And it was very clarifying for me, and you see it. And you see it because, as I said earlier, people make, people make money their God. And that's an example of it. We, we are free to make God whatever we want to make God. You know? Remember Tom Hanks in Castaway? He had the soccer ball? Yeah. It became a real person to him after a while. What was that guy's name? Wilson. Wilson, Wilson. yeah. Wilson. Wilson became his God. You know, he, had, he was lonely. All right, so everybody gets an A. And when we, when we realize that everybody gets an A, we come into this common purpose. We come into this collaboration that, that we're all supporting one another. Nobody has to earn anything. We just have to write this letter, compose this letter about what it is, this common purpose that we have. And you and I make a difference. Everybody makes a difference. He uses, or she uses in the, in the book that uh, Thurgood Marshall, and Thurgood Marshall was one of the Supreme Court justices. I believe he was the first black man that was a Supreme Court justice in the United States. And when he retired, they asked him, what made the difference for you? Why do you think you achieved such a high level of, of leadership? And he said, I did the best I could with what I had. And the illustration there was, is that, that doing the best he could with what he had, he gave himself an A. Give yourself an A for no good reason. I'm getting an A. And I'm going to tell you why I got an A, why I had such an extraordinary journey. Then we each have a specific message. Each and every one of us has this unique and specific message to share. And now also the question, and I skipped over this at the first, was that, that there's a story of the monks in the book. And the monks, the, the monastery is deteriorating and people are leaving and no one's showing up. And, and outside the monastery, and it's off in the country, there's six monks that live there. There's an old rabbi that lives out in the woods. And so the, the leader of the monastery is in the woods one day and he happens upon the rabbi. And they start talking about what's going on. And the, the, the abbot, the leader of the monastery, says, you know, we're pretty well done. Nobody's showing up anymore. Uh, there's only six of us left, on and on and on. And, he, and the rabbi listens to it, takes it in, and he just says, you know, I just want to tell you before you go back that one of you is the Messiah. One of you is the Messiah. So he takes that back and he shares it with the other monks. And they're like, well, it couldn't possibly be Peter. Hmm. Or Dwayne. Or maybe it is, because every time we need something, Dwayne shows up. And, but wait a minute, Peter's, you know what? Peter's, Peter's he's crotchety, but he, there's, sometimes he's just extraordinary. But all of a sudden, what it does is plants the seeds of possibility. They start to see one another in different ways. So they don't, know, they don't define who it is, but they know the Messiah is there. Oh my gosh, and all of a sudden the energetic of the whole place changes. And they change, and all of a sudden people start coming back because there's something of value, there's a richness there. That's just a wonderful story about how we can transform an environment through our intention. People come to me all the time and say, man, I'm so glad to be back here on a Sunday. There's such a, an energy here, and there is. But it's, it's, a, it's a collective. But it, unless we call it forth and celebrate it and nurture it, it's just flat, and there's an energetic that we've, we step into. My vision, part of my vision for this place is that people receive the transformation or the healing that they seek by walking in the door. It has nothing to do with me other than the fact that I help set that. I help set the table. There's a meal here. 
And it's rich and it's wonderful. And I hear it from people all the time, and it's beautiful because it's part of what, but, you know, how do you, it's, it's intangible in many ways, and yet it can be such a rich experience. So you know what? The Messiah is one of you. And you've already got the A, so you get to write the letter. So what, what in your letter, what did you invent in 2016 that provided you new choices? What did you name? Did you give your, have you given your year a, a theme yet? Carol Carnes always used to say, I'm going to give my year a theme. Don't set an intention. Give your year a theme. Most people are out there saying another year of hard work, disappointment, heartbreak, sorrow, shame. Wow. Let's get on board with that, huh? Give your point. A year of extraordinary abundance, creativity, leadership, opportunity, doors opening that you could not even imagine. See, and we plant the seeds now. It doesn't mean it's over in a year. This is a continuum. It doesn't mean in the, when 2017, the plug gets the pulled. No, you build the capacity. Part of what, um, I'm reading a book right now called The People of the Lie. It's an old book by M. Scott Peck. And he talks in there about sin. And sin, of course, is missing the mark. And when we understand we, he- we head out in a direction and we miss the mark, it's not a cause for failure. It's not to reinforce it's not available to me or I don't deserve it or whatever. It's an indication that we're moving in the right direction because missing the mark allows us to go back and, and adjust our trajectory. That's why people, you know, people start a New Year's resolution and most people, you know how many people are done by the end of January with a New Year's resolution? I got that statistic too. 8% are successful. 92, thank you, Richard, 92%, that's the other, yeah, good, 100, it's good at math, 45% of New Year's resolutions are over by the end of January. Talk about a lack of commitment. If something's precious to you and you're devoted to it, yeah, I missed the mark there. You know, I said I was going to do this today and this today and this today and this today, and, and those are the ideals, that's my ideal day, and I only got three done. I'm going to give up on them all because I didn't get them all done. You big quitter. It's to be an adult. It's to grow up and take responsibility and say, you know what? I can do better with this. I'm going I'm to put things in place. I'm going to move things around so there's reminders for me of the things that are precious for me. Otherwise, we go right back into our uh, subconscious, unconscious way of being and we, we slide right back into the traps of our habits. What did you name 2016? And what thrilled you, delighted you, and made your cheeks hurt that you smiled so much? Then you know you're on the track here. So here we are. We've warmed up this bowl. We've put our papers in there. We've warmed up our consciousness. And this is alive and dynamic. I want you to remember this. Somebody took a great picture. If you get your phone out and take another picture, this is quite extraordinary to watch. And it's pretty exciting to be part of it this close, too. We do have the flamethrower, or the, uh, the, the, pardon me? Oh, you're good. Okay, good. So as I light this, this represents for all of us the transformation, the burning away of things that no longer serve us, the ideas, the biases, the assumptions, known or unknown. See, we don't have to understand all of it. As Bishop Spung said, just to be willing to move into the mystery with our humanity and trust. That's what faith's all about. Christ didn't come to save us. It came to inspire us and to inform us, something that we can awaken within ourselves. So whoever you're willing to forgive, yourself or others, whatever you're willing to put down that no longer serves you, let this flash of light represent the 
the burning off of the dross, and as the smoke rises, it represents the phoenix rising for all of us. The last slide I want to share with you is the, the waterfall. The waterfall, as you, as you do your, your work this year, let every shower you take wash away what is no longer necessary. Use it as a metaphor. Use it as a spiritual practice to stand under that shower and let it wash away. And then as you step back in, to let it fill you with light and awareness and that, that emerging humanity that you are. So let us set this intention in prayer as we call forward and bring back our musicians to share a song with us. I know and affirm the recognition of this supreme God, this one entity. I, I give thanks to my spiritual teacher, all spiritual teachers, all great avatars, workers of light, angels of, of goodness and sweetness that continue to inform and guide us in every good way. But the smoke of spirit we are immersed in, I know that 2016 is, a, is truly to live in the art of possibility, each and every one of us. And so I just give thanks, knowing that what is alive within us has an opportunity to be made more apparent and real this year in every good way. In gratitude and appreciation, I release this, and together we say, and so it is. All right, there they are.